Welcome to the Ham and High podcast. I'm Andre Longley, and in this episode, we turn our attention to Glasgow to discuss the COP26 Climate Summit. Later, we hear from interfaith consultant Laura Marks. But first, Sally Paston talks to Professor of Earth System Science Mark Maslin, a member of University College London's Climate Hub. I'm here with Professor Mark Maslin, who is from the Department of Geography at UCL. And well, welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you, Sally, for having me on. It's a great pleasure to chat to you. So you're currently in the midst of COP26. What's it like being there? So it's actually really busy. I cannot express to you how many people are here. So the first thing is I, I turned up 10 to 8 before the doors opened and there was already a queue. So it, it takes about half an hour to go through security and make sure you get all your checks, both COVID, but also your bags. And then once you're in, then suddenly you have this expanse of just noise and exhibitions and just people, lots of people running around with TV cameras. Sounds very exciting. And what have you been up to already today? So this morning, the reason why I rushed in early was because CNN asked me to do a live feed at about uh, 8.30 this morning, which I did. And I have to say, it's a very bizarre experience because all you have is a camera in front of you. You have a mobile phone attached to an earpiece that's sticking your ear so you can hear the director in the U.S., and that's it, you know, cameraman, director, that's it. But you're competing with everybody else. So there I had this incredibly loud Russian presenter who seemed to be actually shouting all the way to Russia next to me filming at the same time. And so there's me really trying to desperately concentrate on what the question was from CNN and actually try to be at least eloquent. And I hadn't even had my first cup of coffee. Very impressive for a Tuesday morning. Um, so are you there, Mark, in just a capacity to be part of what's going on, to kind of meet others? Are you organising anything at the conference itself? So the way the COP works is there's different levels of engagement. So the first are the parties. So, of course, this is the conference of the parties. So there are lots of people that are involved in each of the delegations from each of the countries. Now, what's really interesting is some of my UCL colleagues are actually part of their delegations and helping the negotiators. So we've got colleagues in the Japanese, uh, in the Jamaican, and also the Gabonese delegation. So they're seeing really how the negotiations are going and keep feeding back from our Glasgow uh, UCL team, what's up, what's going on. But then there's also the second tier, which is the observers. So I'm an observer, and therefore... I'm here to make sure that the negotiations are open and transparent, but it also means it allows me to engage with the delegates uh, to talk to them about the science and also the solutions of climate change. And I'm really lucky. I've got a fantastic team from UCL here, which I'm looking after. There's seven of them coming up for week one and already here. And then I have seven coming up for week two. And it covers the whole range. So we've got lawyers, engineers, we've got climate scientists, we've got students. And so we've made a really conscious effort to make sure that we have a diverse 
real clear voice coming here uh, to try and actually help move the engagement and get agreement coming out of COP26. How free are you to kind of wander around, go and listen to conversations, go and speak to delegates? Does it all feel quite restricted and, you know, security everywhere? Or are you actually able to kind of wander quite freely? So apart from some of the very, very high up VIPs, actually everybody just wanders around. So Ed Miliband has just wandered past me. Um, I've had... um, John Kerry wandered past me. Admittedly, he had three security people around. But no, it's very free compared with what you would expect. So again, even some of the high ups are down with the people here and actually engaging. So I can have access and observers can access most of the negotiations. There are sometimes a closed session where certain countries need to talk about something or there is a session that needs to thrash out something and they don't want observers to actually actually come out with anything until they've got an agreement. So most of it's very open. And as I said, I, I'm basically spotting stuff like world leaders. It's great. Fantastic opportunity. Are there any conversations you've had thus far which have really stood out to you or felt really meaningful? So at the moment, I have to say I've been doing... Uh, few bits of media here but I've also then gone out into Glasgow and done events so what people don't realize is the conference center is just the start of the whole COP thing and so we have lots of companies and NGOs that book space throughout Glasgow to basically have meaningful events uh, party and also engage with lots and lots of different groups so COP isn't just on the central site, it's actually spread out. So there's going to be events at Glasgow University, at the Caledonian University, and at lots of meeting spaces. So it's just filling the whole of Glasgow. And of course, outside all of these major venues are their protests. Protests about climate change, protests about countries' leaders, protests about human rights. And so it is a real jamboree which has every flavor of politics and people here. I mean, if you ever wanted to know what world diversity looks like, just wander around a COP meeting and you'll see how amazing humanity really is. I have to say I'm very jealous because Glasgow is one of my favorite cities. So even without COP going on, I'm sure there's plenty to do, but it really must be quite a sight this week. Um, And finally, what what are the things that you're really looking forward to getting out of this and you really hope to see coming out of COP26? So I think people have to remember that COP is actually a limited international negotiation. So there's certain things we can demand of COP and there's certain things that we will have to do within country or in other negotiations. Now, the key thing I want is that I want countries to be tied in to the Paris Agreement. So they've all agreed to it, but the Paris Agreement says that we are going to keep temperatures to significantly below two degrees and perhaps at one and a half degrees if possible. And to do that, we need to globally get to net zero by 2050. Unfortunately, the pledges or NDCs, National Defined Contributions, as we call them in the technical, but hey, they're pledges really. Each country can pledge anything they like. So we've had pledges from India saying they'll get to net zero by 2070. China's pledging by 
2060. And the problem is that those are too far in advance. What we need is some solidarity and pull it all into a much tighter agreement to actually reach global net zero by 2050. So that's the first thing. Tighten things up, make sure that all countries are tied in. The other thing we need is we need that 100 billion that has been promised since 2010 to actually appear. We need rich countries to write that very small check and actually help, I would say, least developed countries and countries that rely heavily on fossil fuels to decarbonize as quick as possible. And it's not that much money. I mean, the world has just spent $14 trillion lifting their economies out of COVID. And the last one is we need real tighter regulation on our carbon stocks and actually protecting them. We've already had an announcement this today, which is 100 countries are pledging that they will stop all deforestation by 2030, which is fantastic news, but we've heard this before. So I'm really hoping this time these countries like Brazil, Indonesia, and DRC really actually mean it. Well, lots of uh, potential there. And I really wish you the best of luck with the rest of COP26 and hope you enjoy yourself. Thanks so much again, Mark. Absolute pleasure, Sally. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the negotiators and the power players and the world leaders really can push through the next two weeks and actually get a meaningful agreement that actually makes the Paris Agreement happen. So, Laura Marks, thanks for speaking to us today. Um, you've been to COP26. Um, how was it up there? Well, it was it was wonderful, actually. It was, um, you know, there's been so much hype about it. It's been so long in the coming. I mean, I remember being in meetings three years ago and talking about COP26, and of course it was moved, and it was, you know, was it going to happen or wasn't going to happen? So uh, it was brilliant that actually it happened in the end and that so many heads of state have been flying in and that it's been taken in in most circles, at least, very seriously. And certainly in my circle, it's been taken very seriously because, uh, you know, it's an existential threat that we're facing at the moment. And uh, it's something that we've really got to address. So climate change and, um, and the whole area of what we're going to do with our environment is something that we just really have to take very seriously. So it was, it was great to be there. Lots of interesting people, lots of interesting sessions. Um, I mean, there's, there's two weeks of it. So hopefully they're so, going to come to some sort of agreement. And so um, what was your role? Why, why were you up there? Well, I was up there for lots of things. So um, I've been part of an interfaith group for a couple of years now, uh, which is looking at the role of the faith groups within uh, the need to do something about the environment. Um, I also am a trustee of the Commonwealth Jewish Council, and we, which is the only faith community affiliated to the Commonwealth, strangely, um, in the whole Commonwealth. And so we ran a session on the, it was actually called Are Faith Leaders Doing Enough About Climate Change? And we had the Chief Rabbi, the Bishop of Reading, and Imam Syed Razawi from Scotland, uh, talking about whether they're doing enough. Uh, in a nutshell, the answer is no. Uh, and could they do more, of course. And uh, so I had those dual roles being there. And also, obviously, with, with Mitzvah Day, we, 
we're involved in social action and social justice. And there's a there's a, a social action part of this and a social justice part of it. Um, and the, and the other reason I was there was because I do a lot in the world of women and particularly women of the faith groups. But I went to a session about feminism and the climate. And that was really, really profound because I know we talk about it a bit here, but the effect of climate change on women in the southern hemisphere is extraordinary. And they had women there from mostly on Zoom because of travel problems and COVID restrictions and so on. Um, but women from Fiji and Colombia and Peru and all sorts of countries in the Southern Hemisphere. And to hear how this is impacting them was terribly depressing. And, uh, and, and of course, it's, 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 um, it's intersectional because not only is it intersectional in the terms of women um, and and their particular backgrounds, but it's also all of the different problems of the world come together in climate change. So poverty and poor housing and leading to domestic violence and, and education and education for girls and racism and all of those issues are tied up in climate change. And listening to these women talk about this, I think that we have no idea here in the West I think we are so cocooned from what's going on in the rest of the world. And, and for me, that was one of the real benefits of COP26 is hearing the rest of the world. And, and so many of them haven't been able to come. I mean, part of the session on feminism and climate change was on Zoom. Some of the speakers were there on Zoom. Um, but, but having people able to be in the room was really important. And, and, and that was why I went. And um, and obviously it's a, it's an issue for kind of all of, it's a social issue um, it's a uh, issue for individuals, but ultimately the reason we have this kind of summit is so that world leaders can get together and get some big changes done um, in in one swing. Is is there something that you particularly hope to see out come out of this? Well, I think first of all, what you say is right that climate change is not going to be tackled until it's done at a legislative level and a world level. You know, we can all do our bit and we all, there was a lot of sessions about the bit that we can all do, um, the bit we can do as individuals, the bit we can do as communities, um, as countries, as faith groups. I mean, the faith groups bit was really interesting because, you know, the point was made in the session on faith groups, which I come back to often, which is somewhere between 80 and 85% of the world's population self uh, identify as part of a faith group. And the role of the faith leaders is crucial. And I think it was the chief rabbi who made the point that there was no faith track. There was no faith session other than the one that the Commonwealth Jewish Council did. There was no faith session or acknowledgement of the role of the faith communities in bringing around change. So if you on one hand, you accept that governments are number one, but probably number two are going to be the faith leaders because they have such an impact on their local communities. And yet there was no real acknowledgement of that. And how you expect to get world change until you engage with the faith communities in a world perspective, I mean, slightly different in the UK, but certainly in a world perspective, that, that's quite sort of strange that they didn't do something um, more seriously addressing the issue of faith communities. So I think, as I say, there's, there's, there's things that, that the, the world leaders can do. And I think that's really going to be the ultimate aim of COP. 
you know, it will have failed if they can't come up with something. Um, then there's all the other types of, of leadership and advocacy that can come out of COP. And then there's the individual stuff that people can be doing as part of COP. So, you know, we hear about things like eco-synagogue, um, but there's things like green hudge, you know, people going on hudge uh, and doing it with a, a green hat on. Um, and there's all sorts of other initiatives that we can invite people to be part of that will make a difference. Things like you know, reducing our consumption and recycling and reusing. There are people talking about all of those sorts of things. So there's the sort of micro-personal level. There's the sort of macro level, which is communities and faith communities. And then there's the, I don't know what the third level, what you would call that, but it's the world leader level. And you know, somebody was telling me uh, that they found themselves in a session and looked around and they were sitting next to Al Gore. And I thought, great, you know, great that Al Gore's there. Um, you know, he did so much in the world of trying to, to lead climate change. And uh, let's just hope that Biden has got the bit between his teeth. So that that's the kind of, I've, I've been thinking with all the coverage, it feels a bit like Glastonbury week, doesn't it? Everybody's talking about it. Oh, so-and-so's just arrived. There's rumours that Coldplay are going to play a secret set, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then you get stories of, yeah, I bumped into Al Gore in the beer tent or whatever, whatever it is. What's the atmosphere like? What's it, is it, what's it like being there? Well, I mean, if I tell you I did 19 and a half thousand steps yesterday, uh, it'll tell you something about how much how much trekking around there is to do. Um, it's very hard to get in. You know, the streets are, are cordoned off for miles around. There's cones and police everywhere. People said to me there were less police there than they've seen at other events. There were a lot of police outside, not inside. Inside, it was quite a sort of... Um, convivial, informal type feel, not, not a lot of security inside at all. Uh, to get in is quite hard work. You've got to find the entrance, first of all. Um, and it sounds silly, but it's almost impossible. And there were less people in there than I expected. So there's two zones. There's the green zone, which is civil society. And we were in the green zone and, there's, and it was in the science center. And there's lots of buildings around that. And that's where all of the sessions are. And then there's the blue zone. And we didn't have a blue zone ticket. And that's government. And so uh, I don't know who gets a blue zone ticket. but And, and it's something to do with the UN. I don't know, quite understand. Uh, but there's two different zones. But the whole of the centre of the city is cordoned off. And the streets are very quiet. So you're aware almost wherever you are in the city centre, there's something going on because it's hushed. And I think probably people just don't have don't drive into town because it's too awful, because it's all too cordoned off. So you can't be in Glasgow and miss it. And all of the billboards and everything you see is about climate change and the environment. You know, the, the, the bus stops, everything is about COP26. You cannot miss it. And that's good. You know, the whole city has been taken. It's like, it's like when we had the Olympics and, you know, you couldn't walk around London without knowing you had the Olympics. And, and I love that because it gave you a sense of we're all in this. This is something that is engulfed us all and we're all part of it. So I, I love the fact that the whole city seemed to be really focused on it. Well, maybe next um, next year, since there won't be a COP, we need to, a North London religious leaders or faith COP. Cop faith, faith cop, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I, I think it's a very good idea. And I think particularly um, given the lack of focus on faith communities um, 
of uh, of COP itself. And I think we should invite all sorts of different leaders to it. I think, you know, community leaders of all different types of communities, not just faith communities. Um, you know, within London, there are all sorts of people from different ethnic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, um, all of whom self-identify as part of their community. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to bring all these different communities together and see what we can do. And of course, we won't have the ability to influence world leaders at that stage, but we can influence London leaders and we can influence national leaders. So I do think that there's, there's plenty to do. And whilst COP26 is quite a sort of watershed moment, whatever happens is not gonna solve the problem. You know, whatever solution they come up with, um, I, I just don't believe it's going to be enough to do what's going to need to be done. So uh, much as it's a shame, we're not going to be able to get to the end of this two weeks and say, job done, um, unfortunately. So thank you very much to our guests for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit subscribe and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.